Blog Talk Radio. This is All About Wine on Blog Talk Radio, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009, featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Call our guest line at any time during the live show at area code 646-727-3235 and let's talk about wine. Again, the phone number to call is 646-727-3235. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Ron. Wow. Wow. Excited, excited, yeah. Because yeah, it's not raining. It's not raining, yeah. so they're excited. Yep. You know, drinking drinking yep. wine and not raining. <laughs> and... Yay. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Although it does rain all the time. We're getting rains every day anyway, but it's not raining right now, so that's that's a good thing. Yeah. Welcome good. to the show. Welcome <clears throat> to the show. Uh, so, why is this... It, the screen is doing all sorts of weird stuff. It does this. I don't know why it does this. Um, yes, we're back. Back for another week. Thank you for tuning in. It is now 7.01 on August the 16th, 2018. If you're listening live, you can call in and talk at us. If you're not listening live, don't. Uh, <laughs> but if you are, <laughs> if you are, operators are standing by. That's right. Uh, Hmm. Uh, on a sad note, I don't know everybody's heard, Aretha Franklin passed away today. Uh, the, you know, Queen of Soul and uh, some great songs over her career. She, they had a, had a big tribute on the news, evening news about her. But, uh, you know, uh, some... Uh, you know, a uh, voice of our air growing up. This is you know, she's been around all that. Mm-hmm. She made her she made her first album when she was fourteen. She uh was going to do another album when she was fifteen, but she was pregnant with her second child, so she didn't. Uh but uh Rita Franklin passed away. Seventy nine, I think she was, something like seventy or seventy nine. Seventy six, I think it was. Yeah, I read 76. 76? Yeah, I think so. I read. 76. Pancreatic cancer, I think it was, is what took me so. But uh, a little little short nod tribute to Aretha Franklin there. Drinking uh, tonight, Florida State Winery Orange. Uh, had a had a bottle of the orange and doing the orange tonight and uh, very last one. I mean, it, after we pop this open tonight and finish this, it it is not available ever ever unless anyone's got it saving. And I think people are saving it. People have told me that they're saving it. When I told them Florida State Winery is closing, they oh 
how long will the storms last? I said, well, don't wait too long. Well, good. I've got like five bottles. I'm, you know, so this wow. is probably not the, yeah, I know. I know people love this orange. I mean, it was, it, mm-hmm. it, it was popular. And so, uh, uh, this is probably not the very last. So they're ha- they're having to store five bottles of wine. I'm I'm guessing you would put that in a cooler of some sort, like a wine cooler or yeah. even in yeah. a climate control type of thing. Uh, um, wow. All right. Yeah. Hmm. So okay. Uh, I know there's some out there though because you know people. People told me that they uh, they just love it, and I go, "Are oh, you going to make any more?" No, no, we're closed. Closed means. Mm. So, so the oranges. In fact, the last two cases of orange I sold. Guy came in when we were closing. He came in and he said, uh, he walked in the door and had a sign there. He said, uh, "We are closing. You know, everything's forty percent off except for wine. We're not discounting that." And uh, he goes, "Oh, really?" And I said, "Yeah." He said, uh, "I'm going to get some orange." And I said, "I have some." And he says, well, wait a minute. He walks up to the car and he comes back in. And he goes, how many do you have? And I said, I think I have like 24 bottles, two cases. He goes, wait a minute. He walks back out to the car and he comes back in again. <laughs> and he goes, give me give me all 24. And I go, really? And he goes, yeah. And he says, yeah, I'll take all 24. And he says, I'm just not talking to my wife. And I told you we wouldn't have any more. And she said, get all you can get. So he said, give me all 24. So wow. that was that was the end of the orange right there. I just, you know, and awesome. same thing, the same thing happened on the, uh, the star fruit wine. Somebody bought like a case and a half, wiped me out at the end there. Cause they knew mm-hmm. they couldn't get it anymore. Same thing happened with the key limes and, uh, the spice that, that mm. same thing happened there. Somebody bought like two and a half cases because it wasn't going to be available anymore. And so they just, Bought it, and so, uh, but got the orange now tonight. Nice, just a hint of orange. Got that little. Uh, I, I do it with the basic white, and it's got that little basic white bite to it, which I, I like. It's you know, little acid bite. But I will be sipping on the orange throughout this evening's program. Uh, oh, I something else. I went to. Uh, Total Wines uh, this past week, and they have the Corbin experience, what they call it, the Corbin experience, all over the place. They had, you know, models, and they had samples, and they had brochures and everything. Uh, it's, if you want to check it out here, Mike, it's www.corvin, C-O-R-A-V-I-N, corvin.com. But, it's a preservation system um, for the uh, bottle. This is at the oh. end of the day, nothing. What's that? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I remember. Or, yeah, I remember. Yeah, we yeah. we talked about it once before, but they have it everywhere. There. It says at the end of the day, nothing's better than a glass of wine. Now you have the freedom to enjoy one without worrying about finishing the bottle. The Corvin wine preservation opener lets you pour wine without removing the cork so you can drink as much as you like and enjoy the rest of the bottle another day. 
Your favorite wines should never be compromised. Neither should your choice of when and how to enjoy them. And then it has this little brochure. It has a Model 1, Model 2, and Model 2 Elite Pro. Ooh. Um, the Model 1 makes uh, Corbin's proven technology accessible to new and everyday wine lovers. And it tells about how nice it is. The Model 2, the Model 2 is the Corbin's standard featuring the perfect balance between elegant design and durable craftsmanship. Mm-hmm. And then Model 2 Elite Pro, featuring unique high-end colors and chrome accents. The Model 2 Elite Pro is the ultimate fusion of luxury and technology. For the ultimate Corbin experience, each includes an elegant storage base, cherry case, and four Corbin capsules. So, you know, the Corbin experience, they're talking about it here, wine like never before. You know, you can cook with it and throw unforgettable wine tasting parties. You can use your favorite wine for cooking all without wasting a drop. So, uh, very simple, it says. Insert, place the Corbin wine preservation over on top of the bottle and push the needle through the cork. Corbin works on all cork-sealed steel wines, which means no champagnes, please. Tip and pour. Tilt as you are pouring from an open bottle and press the trigger to pressurize. Release it to pour wine into your glass. Tip the bottle back up to stop the pour. And then, of course, enjoy. Says the cork will reseal naturally and continue to protect your wine for weeks, months, or even years. I'm really curious about that if it's going to protect it for years. So, but the Corbin, it's they got to see one in action. I didn't couldn't find anybody to pour me some. They had one there and had it on a bottle, but I couldn't find anyone to demonstrate it, so I didn't get a chance to see it demonstrated. It was expensive too. I, I think the thing ran like the basic model ran like sixty dollars. Yeah. So, uh, so the Corbin, I saw that. Uh, okay. There's something else. Oh, Mike and I were talking before the show. Uh, I was going to tell him that. And they only give us 15 minutes to talk to each other before the show, and then we get cut off. But we were talking about, uh, my sister went down to Branson, Missouri. I don't know if you've all been to Branson, Missouri or not. Branson, Missouri now is, it's a big tourist place. I mean, a big tourist place. They got all sorts of great big halls and great big dance halls and great big entertainment halls and all sorts of stuff. It's just a, a phenomenal place. I've not been there. Well, that's not true. I was there way back. In 1967, I used to go to Branson and pick up fishing gear and some groceries. They had five stores and they had a post office, a little small hotel, a restaurant, a boat shop, and a little grocery store, a small grocery store. And that was it. Uh, Now it's just enormous. But that's not the story. The story is, went down there, my sister went down there this last weekend stopped by there's a cheese factory um, that's about halfway from where they live into Branson so they used it as a midway stop and there was a a guy pouring wine at the cheese factory tasting wine she started to talk with him and it's 
my notes in the other room. Yeah, I just I don't have it here. But she started to talk with him, and he owns a winery there. He just opened up the first winery in that county in Missouri and the first one in that area. And he's sourcing all of his grapes from Missouri, and he's making wine. And as she was talking to him, she says, yeah, my brother had a winery. He does a radio program all about wine. And he's all excited and all wiggly about the fact that I have the program and he wants to be on. So uh, not next week, because I think Mike's going to be gone next week. But the week after next, we're going to get him. Kevin is his first name. I can't remember his last name. and can't remember the name of the winery right offhand. But uh, we will have a guest from... Missouri Winery on in a couple of weeks, so mark your calendars for that and tune in for that. We'll have uh, Kevin. My paper's in the other room, and if I try to walk in there, then the microphone will yank off my head, so I'm not going to do that. But just check check out our our Facebook page. I'll I'll put it up on the Facebook page so you see it. Um, before I get anything, a couple of bits of trivias here. Um, champagne in early America. Before the advent of sparkling champagne in the 1700s, the Champagne region of France produced still wines and red wines similar in body and style to the wines of Burgundy. In fact, it took quite some time for sparkling champagne to catch on in early America. And the wine knowledge most certainly preferred wine knowledgeable, sorry, most certainly preferred still champagne to sparkling. For example, America's first great wine connoisseur, Thomas Jefferson, and he was a connoisseur, he uh, was an expert on French wines, was partial to still white champagne, which he considered, along with Hermitage Blanc, one of the great wines of the world. When Jefferson was president, he stocked his own cell of still champagne, and his records indicate that he kept no less than 500 bottles at a time for entertaining purposes. So, still champagne. Most of us probably never heard of that. Brave New World. Oops, let me grab this here. Listen to a group of wine lovers describe the same wine, and it's clear the taste is personal and highly individual. So, you taste cherries and the Zinfandel, and I taste chocolate. You have a lot of differences. But wait, now there's Robitaille. Robitaille? R O B O T. Robitaille? Robitaille, that's what it is. R O B O T O N T U E. Robitaille. Provocatively described by the usually stated British wine magazine Decanter. And sounding like the title of a 1970s porn movie. The Robotongue is a sort of electronic tongue that reveals the human, that rivals, boy, I'm having trouble reading, that rivals the human tongue and its ability to discern different taste. The machine was invented by a Brazilian scientist and then further developed at the University of Wales. Scientists think the Robotum will be invaluable as a quality control device for companies that make wine, as well as coffee, tea, and mineral water. So far, however, there are no reports of wineries rushing out to purchase the machine. It seems winemakers rather enjoy the job of tasting wine. Thank you very much. So, Robotum. I 
I, every once in a while you see something where they're talking about the machines that can smell and taste and stuff. But it's not real, real popular. Last week I read a bit of trivia to you um, talking about first growth. Uh, the uh, Bordeaux's legendary, and it said in the article, if controversial, ranking system known as the 1855 classification or the first growth. And I said I would check that out further for you to give you more information. Well, we're going to talk about first growth tonight and what it involves and everything that goes with it. So we're going to get some lessons on first growth. The, uh, I found an excellent source here. It's called the Wine Cellar Insider, and it's uh, got some fantastic information on it. It really does. Uh, I've learned quite a bit just coming through different articles and stuff that they have in here. But the first growth, the 1855 Bordeaux classification of the Medoc first growth. Uh, it's uh, the historic 1855 classification is said to be the single most important and famous classification of any wine region in the world. It is... Uh, Unlike any others, nobody's ever done anything like it, all that. And about 160 years later, well, it's more than that now, 163. 163 years later, this document still continues to be used and has almost no changes. That is the controversial part of it. And I mentioned last week, if controversial, the no changes on it has pretty much stayed the same for 165 years, 163 years. Uh, the classification of Bordeaux wines from Medoc have only allowed two modifications in that time. Uh, Chateau Cantemarie was added in 1856, uh, which was one of them. That reason for that is because it was left off by accident in 1855. So, yeah, that's one of the changes. The more important historic change came when Chateau Montan Rothschild was promoted from a second growth to a first growth status. And that took place on June 21st, 1973. So you're looking at uh, 119 or 118 years later was the second only change. Um Actually, there's some that should be moved up and some that should be moved down within all. But by and large, it's still pretty much the same. Uh, we'll get into these different classifications and all that in a minute here. The classification, 1855 classification, how did it come into being? This was, this was always the question. As a point of reference, the wines of Bordeaux have been unofficially classified prior to 1855. So, you know, it's it's not like it was just something brand new. Actually, as far back as the 1600s is when Bordeaux wine first began to be exported to other countries that there was a, a classification of sorts. And then 
certain buyers only seek the appellation, the Bordeaux appellation. They only wanted wine from the Bordeaux appellation. Actually, Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson, was one of those. He, he used to visit the Bordeaux region quite often. Uh, it first got attention for the specific wines with uh, Lafitte, Latour, Margot, and Hobrion. Uh, they were the first chateau to earn notoriety, and this was in the unofficial classifications. Um, later, Latour, Margot, and Hot Brown were soon listed as the finest and, and with Lafitte and most expensive wines of Bordeaux by the negotiants and merchants. Um, negotiants being just uh, salespeople. The next step was to find a standard. Uh, consumer preference came about uh, when wines began to be sold by their appellation. So merchants attended to the customer's search for quality and started selling wines from Poulot, Margot, St. Julian, St. Estephus, and Gras. But due to the fame of Haute Brion, Purchasers also asked for wines of Passat, I think that's pronounced, and I will apologize for my mispronunciation of some of these French words. And this continued to grow. And in 1666, the owner of Hope Brion came up with the idea of starting a tavern in London for the sole purpose of selling and promoting Chateau Hope Brion and his other brands. So it was becoming very popular as early as 1866. You start thinking back on that. 1666, that's before the United States was even the United States. Thomas Jefferson visited, uh, his visit of 1787, came up with his own list of the best wines. And his list also placed what we know as the first gross at the top. He came up with an idea of three levels of classification. And it was uh, at this time that the next level of classified gross took hold and what we think of today as the second gross. All right. The According to Thomas Jefferson, the four quality vineyards were Chateau Margaux, and they were producing around 150 barrels that were sold by contract to a merchant. The Latour Segor, which later became Chateau Latour, and they produced about 125 barrels. Hautbrion, two-thirds of which belonged to the Count de Fumel, and he sold his uh, harvest to Barton, and they produced about 75 barrels. And then Chateau de la Fête, or Lafitte Rothschild, and this produced about 175 barrels. And Thomas Jefferson, who later became president, had already discovered the best Bordeaux wines of the day, and so it was, you know, he was saying, this this is what I want. He created his own list of what would be the, what would be the first gross, and it was the same list that was drawn up almost 75 years later in the official 1855 classification of first gross. Um, some of the other lesser-known tasters of the day also put together an unofficial ranking of Bordeaux. Uh, and 
that, you know, Andrew Simon in 1850, uh, a uh, Lawton and uh, Tassett of 1815, Wilhelm Frank of 1845, Cox and Ferret of 1850. Uh, numerous books and publications before then were listing the best wines in the Bordeaux region. Now, you have to remember, it's it's Bordeaux, the Bordeaux region, and basically left bank. And let's talk about, you know, a little bit. And when they talk about left bank and right bank, uh, they're talking about the different sides of the river that runs down to their left bank and the Seine's, uh, Bordeaux, Modac, Modac. Uh, there is Bordeaux on the right bank also, uh, Pomeran, Graves, uh, and Saint-Emilion, a whole bunch of different ones. So it turns down on the bottom of the left bank and all. But it's the river that runs through there when they talk about the left bank and right bank in, in France. The first official Bordeaux classification took place in 1740. And this was basically for tax purposes. Okay, now this is interesting because we're starting to talk money into this now. Um, as a point of reference, more than 50% of the chateaus listed in the 1855 classification were already listed in the 1740 document which contains 75 chateaus in all. Uh, many of the wines uh, we think of today as being the best in Bordeaux are not that much different than they were hundreds of years ago. Uh, it's, it's still the same. It's still basically the same stuff. Now, let's go back and quickly go through the, the first gross, just as a reminder, Lafitte, Rothschild, Margot, Latour, Hautebriand, and Monton Rothschild. Again, Monton Rothschild added in 1973. So, But those are the first gross. Second gross, uh, I'm not going to name them all here. I'll destroy names anyway. Then you have third gross, then you have fourth gross, then you have fifth gross. They're all... All classified. Every one of them is classified. Now, <laughs> each chateau's, uh would, because of the importance of being uh, different ones, each chateau would submit wines to these people who were giving the the uh, list and making the list. And so they were uh, trying to come up. Then the Exposition Universelle de Paris, or the Paris World's Fair, basically is what it was, uh, presented wines and realized, uh, and the wineries realized that there was going to be tens of thousands of consumers going to be attending these events, and they wanted them to taste their wines. They wanted them to taste the best of the Bordeaux wines. So they all each sent a total of six bottles of their, their specific wines. And obviously, no customer is able to taste all the wines. So they need an official book. They need an official classification to show which was the best and all that. And some person or organization would need to help buyers know which wines they should purchase. 
So what happened next was on April 5th, 1855, uh, Duran Chamber of Commerce ordered an official classification to accompany the famous wines of the Bordeaux uh, Appalachian. And these chateaux chosen were all located on the left bank. Margot, St. Julian, Pollock, St. Estiphy, and Hot Madoc. And the brokers are what we've, they, actually brokers, negotiants, knew the wine, the terror, and the soil of the vineyard. And so the chateau and the owner better than anyone. So their effort morphed into what we now refer to as the official 1855 Bordeaux classification. So basically it was put together by the brokers, the negotiants would put it. And then they, two things stand out about the results is it took, Negotiants less than two weeks to create the official 1855 Bordeaux classification. It was completed on April 1855. But, and it's still lasting, but you have to realize that for years and years, that classification was basically already around. There's different ones, like I was just saying, different ones from Jefferson on through to others that was already making up basically that same list, that same classification. So the 1855 Bordeaux classification came up with a ranking of the best Bordeaux wines in five unique classes for the red wines. Red wines. Now, that is, it is red wines. The wines included were all from Madoc, except for the already legendary Chateau Haute-Briand from Graves. Now, Madoc and Madoc is in northern uh, left bank. And then uh, the uh, uh, Gravis is, uh, I don't have a map here, I'm keep on looking at um, Gravis is the right bank. Oh, no, Gravis, I'm looking at Gravis de Voyage. Uh, Gravis is at the lower end of the left bank, uh, the southern end of it. But, uh, the Chateau Hauptbrand from Graves had to be included due to its worldwide fame and the fact that it sold for so much. Rankings were determined in large part by their selling price over an extended period of time. Which, well, selling price, yeah. In this case, when the official rankings for the 1855 classification were produced, the average selling price covering the period 1850 to 1850 or 1815 to 1855 was considered. So, in all, there were 61 Bordeaux chateaus included in the 1855 Bordeaux classification for red wines. It breaks down to five for the first growth, 14 on the second growth. 14 third growths, 10 fourth growths, and 18 fifth growth Bordeaux wines. Now, the final rankings of the 1855 classification are organized as follows. First growth Bordeaux prices over $3,000 French francs per barrel. I looked up each one of these categories to give us a, a American dollar 
it didn't give it to me in 1855 dollars it gave it to me in obviously 2018 dollars so I'm sure you can probably go back and figure out the difference but I didn't the 3,000 French francs is approximately 522 dollars now per barrel and if these were standard barrels you're going to get uh, 24 and a half cases of wine out of a barrel so it's you know reasonably reasonably low now that's that's first growth Bordeaux second growth Bordeaux prices between 2,500 and 2,700 French francs per barrel or 435 to $470. Third growth, price is between 2100 and 2400 francs per barrel or 365 to 417. Fourth growth, price is between 1800 and 2100 francs per barrel or 313 to 365. And fifth growth, price is between 1400 and 1600 French francs per barrel or 244 to $278 per barrel. Now, these are priced, the gross are based on how well they sell, the prices they sell. They really, that was the primary thing of first, second, third, fourth, and fifth growth, how well they sold. What was the average sustainable price? Now, once they classified these things in those, I think it was a, uh, self-fulfilling legacy in the fact that I'm a first growth, so therefore I can demand more money. And the second growth is saying, well, wait a minute, you know, we're, we're starting to sell and it's starting to become better for us. So the explanations of the different growths and to help understand the term growth, me, uh, think of it like this. The best wines of Bordeaux were placed in ranking categories. Each ranking category is were called a growth. A wine with a rank of first growth was considered the best wine in Bordeaux. While the rankings were in theory about quality, the selling price factored heavily into the wines uh, which the wines were ranked into their respective categories and of course the most expensive wines were the first growth Bordeaux wines. Now another way to look at this is let's go on a, a, a school grade scale. A first growth is an A plus. A second growth is an A minus. Third growth, a B plus. A fourth growth, B. And a fifth growth, a C plus. Okay, so they're close. They're very close uh, if you look at it in that way. With the exception of an A-plus for the first growth, the grades may or may not be applicable, but they provide you with a good idea of what the term growth means in relation to the others. All right. And this is Bordeaux. Bordeaux is the only one that does these, these first, second, third, fourth, and fifth growth system in the world. Now, interesting fact about the classification is how the chateaus were organized in each growth class. Uh, the states uh, were not listed alphabetically. Instead, the chateau was placed in the order of their ranking in each category. So take the first growth, for example. Lafitte Rothschild appears first because at the time of the classification, let's see if he's the first on this list here. No, he isn't. The list doesn't. Um, 
because uh, where am I? I lost my place. Uh, because at the time of the classification, they were considered to produce the best wines, period, which sold for more money than any other classified gross. So Lafitte Rothschild was the best wine. They still demand lots of money. It's also important to keep in mind at the time, wines like Petrus, Cheval Blanc, and other famous wines from Provence and Emilion were either not yet producing or they were considered simple wines. This is 1855. Some of these wineries didn't come into existence until after that. The difficulty was to get the wines to the Bordeaux merchants also had to be a reason they were not classified. So shipping-related issues at the time has a lot to do with why these wines became popular in Belgium and other European countries long before they were established Bordeaux wine markets in places like London or even across the pond here in the United States. Some of the top right bank wines sell for more money today than even the first gross, which is you know very true. Now, change in the classifications. The change in the it's interesting to note that the classification has remained uh, a pretty reasonable, reliable document. There's only been uh, the, the two changes, two major changes. The first classification was altered shortly after it was created. That was less than 12 months in 1856. Chateau Cantemarie was deemed a fifth growth due to the fact that it was left off the original ranking by accident. The next change concerned one of the original third growth estates in Margot, and that was Chateau uh, Dubagon, which due to its recent sale became part of Chateau uh, Malscott St. Exprey of 1870. And then the famous one in 1973 when Chateau Montant Rothschild was elevated to first growth status. Um, for 160 years, that was it. But in January of 19, or of 19, in January of 2016, Bordeaux obtained a copyright under European law for the term 1855 when applied to wine. So. You say 1850, you can't use it on anything else. It, it applies to wine. I'm going to take a sip of orange here. I like it. I liked it when I made it, and I still like it. From then on, eight, uh, 2016 on, 1855 enjoys the same legal protection as the term Grand Cru class, but the new copyright enforcement, uh, uh, the only wineries legally able to use the term 1865 on their label are the 61 Bordeaux wines and 26 producers of sweet white Bordeaux wine included in the 1855 classification. All right, now, the vineyards have changed over time. During the first classification, 
uh, cultivated land owned by the 61 chateaus equaled about 2,650 uh, 2, hectares. Today, they own almost 300 or 3,500 hectares of vines. But uh, it hasn't changed a whole lot. The grapes used, excuse me, the grapes used, if it pulls it up here, and I tried to do that real slime without showing that I was doing something else. But the grapes used in the wines in the Bordeaux grapes for red and white wines are Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Cabernet Franc, Petit Bordeaux, Melbach, Carmenere, Sauvignon Blanc, Smillion, Muscadel, and Sauvignon Gris. So those are the ones, those are the grapes. I say Chardonnay. Chardonnay is also uh, uh, the most widely planted white grape variety in uh, the Bordeaux region. And then they got the Burgundy and was other whites, reds, okay. Uh, but those are the ones in, in, in Bordeaux. So let me go back to where I was here. So, today, as all the top growths have reduced the amount of wine in the Grand Vin by an average of 30 to 50% of their yields, so even the vineyards are larger today, the land being used to produce the second and third wines, not the premier wine at the top level. Now, You're saying, well, what's this? The classification, what, what good is it? Well, it, mean, it means that it's just a strong historical document, which in many cases is pretty accurate. Uh, there are, you know, different, you know, questions about it, but it's pretty accurate. Uh, it guarantees quality. It reflects the price of the wine and and the land and. Uh, how much it's worth uh, if an estate comes up for sale then you know I've read you I haven't gotten any real estate lately but I've read you uh, different real estate for California land you know you can first growth if it comes up for sale you can probably triple or quadruple that when uh, first growth continues to occupy a rare atmosphere that remains a world apart from other Bordeaux it makes uh, the wine better to sell and uh higher classifications. Um, for example, the 2009 vintage, Chateau Ponet Canet, a fifth growth, became began to charge as much or more money for money than most second growth. Chateau Palmer, a third growth, is more expensive than most second growths. So it's important to recognize today that the best second-growth Bordeaux wines can and often do produce wine at the same level and quality as the more expensive first-growths. Now, second-growths at the top end of the quality spectrum are known and classified by consumers as super-seconds. Super-seconds. 
the uh, the wines unofficially classed as super seconds sell for a lot more than their peers, and they uh, sell as much as first grow. Super seconds are a let's see, I've got a guide here. Let me click on that, and it doesn't pop up right away. So therefore, there we go. Uh, super seconds. The Bordeaux Super Seconds is a term you hear in Bordeaux wines producers fairly often. And that means in the official classification of 1855, 62 different Bordeaux chateaus were classified. The official classification of the Madoc took a combination of factors which include the historic selling price and the quality of the wines. The chateaus were ranked in five categories. When you consider the list is almost 160 years old, the original 1865 classification is truly an amazing document, but when it comes to super seconds, other Bordeaux wine producers should be promoted. The Bordeaux wines we think of in the rarefied category of super second Bordeaux merit extra consideration. And uh, this article goes on and starts comparing some of the super seconds and what they are and the prices. It also has uh, a list of all the ones that they are classified as super seconds, basically because they're selling as much as the first growth lines. And again, remember, a lot of this is based on the price. And so because of that, super seconds... Oh, what is that? Oh, that's cool. Um, I just... This is going through the find back to the page, and I popped up some pictures here of some vineyards, French vineyards. So, super seconds. If you hear about or see super seconds, those are the ones that you're going to uh, spend as much money as first growth, only they're going to be second growth. 1855 classification of the sweet white Bordeaux wines from the Sauternes. Uh, the Sauternes and Barsac, the sweet wines, were also included in the original 1855 classification, but with only two classes. Uh, the list reflected the market's view of the relative quality between the wines in terms of selling price and reputation. And then within each category, the Chateau was ranked in order of quality and, more importantly, selling price, which was the same standard used for the classification of the Red Bordeaux. So, for the reason listed and all the stuff I've told you, 1855 remains one of the most important years in the history of Bordeaux. The wines of 1855, however, weren't a great year. Uh, 1855 vintage was uh, uh, basically a bad year. They were struck by mildew and, and all sorts of problems in the vineyards. So the 1855 vintage wasn't a great vintage, but that was 1855 was the year that they came out with a list. Now, uh, to give you an idea of prices, not now, and this is this is pretty much up to date. Uh, the uh, let's see where it is. Uh, tour. Here we go. Chateau Lafitte Rothschild. A uh, quality needs no introduction. The estate is arguably the most prominent and prestigious wine property in the world. Uh, 
the uh, Lafitte Palak 2010 is selling for $300. Lafitte Rothschild Palak, $500. Uh, these, that's a 2012. Uh, Chateau Lafitte Palak 2010. $1,399.97 or $1,400. Wine enthusiasts gave this wine 100 Uh The note on it is almost black in color. The stunning wine is gorgeous, rich, and dense. It's grand and powerful with a strong sense of its own importance. I always like that line when they talk about wine. A strong sense of its own importance. Uh, the tannins and the fragrant black currant fruits are palatable. So, uh, then you've got the Chateau Latour Polak, which sells for $1,300. That's a 2005, by the way. Uh, Chateau Laforge de Latour Polak, 2009, for $270. That just gives you an idea of some of these things. This is, and again, these are based on Yonder yeah, grows are based on it. We can do a Chateau Montan Rossan Polak, which uh, 2010 for fifteen hundred dollars. Uh, in eighteen fifty five, Baron Nathaniel de Rothschild, a member of the English branch of the family, brought Chateau Brun Monton and renamed it Chateau Monton Rothschild which has a stinger distinction of being upgraded in 1973 after years of timeless lobbying to the exalted position of first growth. In addition to the extraordinary contents of the bottle, Montan Rothschild is also famous for its labels, which are highly regarded collector's items. In, eight, uh, in 1945, Baron Felipe de Rothschild started a yearly tradition of commissioning an artist to create a painting to adorn the top of the label. Featured artists include Warhol, Chagall, Murrow, and Picasso. The Baron's grandson, Felipe Serres de Rothschild, now helps lead the family's empire. The Chateau Montan Rothschild Palat 2010 was given a hundred score. This is pure Cabernet magic, Cabernet Sauvignon magic with incredible aromas of currants, blackberries, and light spices, tiny hints of hazelnut, wet earth, full body with super velvety tannins. The purity of fruit is breathtaking. It goes on for minutes. That was the description of that one. So these, whenever you look at, you know, first growth, 1855, the classification, and the price was the reason. They sell, and the price the price dictated the selling price, okay, uh, or the uh, quality. The qual- I'm, I'm sorry, I said the backward. The quality dictated the price. And so, therefore, the price was the primary thing that for the classifications. But because of super seconds, some of these prices are jumping up and becoming uh, 
uh, equal to some of these first growths because based on the price. So uh, that's, you know, your first growths, a little bit of information about your first growths and how the classification has came about and how it started and what it's all about and everything. So let me give you another bit of trivia here. Well, since I just finished talking about the Bordeaux, I thought that was interesting. The Bordeaux classification, I, I read quite a few other articles. This was the best here I, I ran across. This had more information on it and it told a lot more about it. If you want to check out some more stuff on this, uh, check, go to the winecellerinsider.com. W I N E C E L L A R I N S I D E R. The winecellerinsider.com. And they've got all sorts of information on all sorts of very interesting information there. They, uh, we got tasting notes and all sorts of tasting notes in different wines. And they got wine topics and forums you can join and tasting guides and uh, all sorts of stuff to learn about wines. And they got California wines and they got their own. And they've got Burgundy and all that, and it's just a lot of uh, a lot of interesting stuff. A lot of interesting stuff on this website here. Um, that's I, I just I started do the research on the first growth, and I'd click on something else, and I'd read that. And while I was reading that, I'd find something within that that I was interested in. I ended up spending mucho mucho time this past week checking out all this stuff. So if you're interested, again, the wine seller uh the insider.com. Great stuff. Complimentary taste of wine. Almost anyone who works in the wine industry will agree that one of the pleasures in other businesses is the generosity of the people in it. Unlike most other businesses, wineries commonly give out samples in the form of complimentary taste of wine to anyone who visits. Exactly how generous is that? Here's an example. Robert Mondavi pours the equivalent of between 5,000 and 6,000 cases of wine each year at the company's Napa Valley Winery alone by serving the small taste of visitors. Mondavi also owns wineries in other parts of California, but his Napa Winery 5,000 to 6,000 cases of wine he tastes a year. Oh, my gosh. Unbelievable. I go through. I used to go through quite a bit myself. I mean, just a little small winery. I used to go through quite a bit of wine. Uh, a side note here to you about, you know, Napa and, and tasting. They used to do free tastings up there. They don't anymore. I mean, Mondavi charges uh, for his tastings now. And just, I think everybody does. Uh, Except for one, you can go up there and say, I really would like to try your Barbera or whatever, and they will do it to you. But most of them have flights or different types you can taste. And it's happening all around the country. I mean, people are charging for tastings and stuff. We did. Uh, Florida State Winery charged $3.50 to try all of them. And we prided it in the fact that it was an educational tasting. We just didn't pour you a little bit of wine and say, you like that? Good. And then go on from there. Uh, educational. I used to educate people on, on a lot of the stuff on that. But tastings in Napa used to be free. It was 
you would go up there back. I remember back in when I used to visit Napa in the early 70s, the mid 70s, and upper 70s, actually throughout the 70s. But tasting it for free. What happened was that, well, besides the event of the wine train and balloon rides and horseback riding and all that, a lot of the kids, and I say kids, you know, like 20 to, to 30, and I was not pretty much in that same category myself, but a lot of kids in the San Francisco and the surrounding areas would rent a limo put 15, 20 people on the limo. The cost of a limo for the day would run them a couple, $300. If you split that between 10, 12 people, you're, you're spending 25 bucks a piece at the most. And then you go up to Napa, you would stop by the wineries, you would do tastings all day long for free. It wouldn't cost anything. You would get ripped and you didn't have to worry about driving or anything, and the limo would take you back home, back down to San Francisco or wherever y'all happen to live and come from. And the wineries started to see more and more and more of this. They started to see limos lined up almost outside their tasting rooms with just these kids, and they weren't buying anything. I mean, they just, you know, their, their purpose was to spend... on a limo and go up and drink all day for free and then come back. And they weren't picking up bottles of wine while they're doing it. And the wineries all said, we have to stop this somehow. We we can't stop the tastings because we have tourists, but we got to do something about these kids coming up. So they started to tack on tasting prices. Uh, So much for, you know, you get three three tastes for three dollars or a dollar taste or stuff. Now Napa, some of the areas, some of the wineries there and charge as much as twenty five, thirty, forty dollars even to taste uh, a, a flight. A lot of them are calling them a flight, which is a series of wines. But um, some of the more expensive wineries are uh, limiting what you can taste and charging quite a bit for it and all of that. So that's why, though, it's, you have to blame it. You know, a few people who abuse the system ends up costing it for everyone else, and that's what happened in the uh, Napa Valley free tasting error, which is, is passed now. Uh, well, I think I've you know, pretty much talked about the classification of 1855 and used up the whole hour. So, uh, one more trivia here, though. Let's do another trivia before we say goodbye. Uh, Wining as as dining. For more than a decade, wine consumption in Spain, France, and Italy have been dropping off significantly. It's not that the Spanish, French, and Italians don't like wine anymore. Indeed, wine is very much still the beverage of choice uh, come dinner time. The decline in per capita consumption comes because, because wine is no longer used as a source of raw calories. About 60 years ago, for example... People in those countries who worked outside, farmers, manual laborers, and so on, often had wine with a hearty breakfast or a shot of brandy in their coffee. 
as a way of preparing for the strenuous day ahead. Workers of all types often had wine, sometimes supplied by their employer during their break. Think of it as a fun version of a coffee break. And children would sometimes be given wine-soaked bread sprinkled with sugar as a before or after-school snack. Ooh, cool. Not so much anymore. Uh, before I do sign off, i got to catch up on some of these uh, wineries that have things coming up. Uh, oh, where am I? Okay. Uh, Castle Ridge Winery, uh, located in Iowa. Got another email from them. Uh, special pricing on selected wines during their harvest. Is expecting a lar- their largest harvests. We are expecting our largest harvest in 2018, with more. Oh, a largest harvest in 20, not of many in 2018, but the largest, uh, with more juice than we ever had before. So they said they need space. They are offering specials. So if you are in Iowa, Castle Ridge has specials on their wine. They also have Friday and Saturday, August 17th and 18th, which is this weekend, Wine and Wood Fired Oven Pizza Day, both days. And uh, they, uh, their featured wine this week is the Light Red. They suggest it with ham or Mexican dishes. And uh, they also have an app now. You can get the Tassel Ridge app. Uh, if you're interested. And again, the 2018 harvest has started, and they say it looks like it's going to be enormous. They've been getting some good weather. So, Tassel Ridge, again, located in Iowa at 1681 220th Street in Leighton, Iowa, L E I G H T O N, Iowa. Uh, they go to tasselridge.com. Yeah, tasselridge.com. Tash Ridge Winery. Let me find it for sure because I don't want to tell you. Uh, it's not on this. Why is it not there? Tasselridge.com. So, Tasselridge.com. So, that's that. Then, Keith Joshua coming up August the 25th. Again, I mentioned this before. Let me tell you quickly again. If August 25th from 11 to 5, all day long. Live music is the Magdalena Bash Harvest Festival. It uh, There will be several new Arizona releases at that. Uh, henna, tattoo artists, caramels and chocolates, potassium farmers, goat, soap, uh, goat milk soaps, photography artists, food trucks, and more. Um, New wine releases will be available. They've got uh, uh, a... What is that noise? What are you doing? Over on this end? Yeah, I'm snapping some yes. things together. Yeah, oh, good okay. Friend of... No, I just I was wondering what it was. I, I thought it was the microphone or something was crackling. And so, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so uh, $15 fee for tasting. It's 5 uh, pours plus a souvenir glass 
and it's it's a big deal. Tassel, or I'm Tassel, not Tassel, Keith Joshua Vineyards uh, coming up on August the 25th, 11 5. Uh, whiskey and wine at Keith Joshua. Uh, Wilcox, September the 15th, from 11 to 5. And then they've got dates already set aside for 2019. Keith Joshua Vineyards is located in Elgin, Elgin, Arizona at 370 Elgin Road. Their website, kj-vineyards.com. So if you want to know more information, but uh, they got... uh, a lot of stuff coming up. It's, it's really a cool place, a beautiful winery, and a beautiful yard around it and all that. So, Keith Joshua Winery. And, let me see, I've got a couple of others, I think, here uh, that I've got to pass on before we leave. Whispering Oaks, of course. Whispering Oaks Winery. Um, they are having a pancreatic cancer benefit. Which, considering Aretha just passed away with pancreatic cancer, this is rather timely. They have a pancreatic cancer event coming up, benefit. Uh, They're hosting a wine and design, uh, Scooter the DJ, and Fifi's Cakes and More for an evening of alluring appetizers, winsome wines, also available for purchase. Outstanding amusement. And that's what it says, outstanding is delectable, delectable desserts and a song auction, all to benefit pancreatic cancer awareness. That is October the 13th from 6 to 10. They are located in Oxford, Florida at 10934 County Road 475. Uh, tickets available for this night is, as they say, for... Let me read how this says. Tickets available for this noble night of wonderful food and wacky entertainment at the ridiculously reasonable cost of only $45 per person from your hostess. Um, And they uh, give the name of the doctors, the two doctors that are uh, sponsoring this and their cash or check only, make checks payable to the pancreatic cancer fundraiser. So, Again, Oxford, Florida, 10934 North County Road, 475. If you want more information, I suppose you can contact the winery at www.winesofflorida.com, which, you know, yeah. So that's uh, uh, coming October 13th. And let's see. Let's uh, hide another one here. Oh, there's something I want to talk about. I'm not going to let y'all go yet. There's something more I'm going to talk about here. Uh, that's all the wineries. But something here I was going to talk about a couple of weeks ago, and I, I couldn't find it, and I found it here. This is what wines to have with breakfast. Okay. We all say breakfast and wine, the best best pairing of wine and eggs and different preps of eggs, obviously. Quickly, 
I will go through this. Uh, eggs sometimes get a bad rap in the wine pairing world, like artichokes and asparagus. Uh, common wisdom says that eggs are difficult to pair with wine due to the palate coating effect of the yolk. Yeah, I don't know. They disagree, though, this article. says there's six dishes where the egg stakes its claim as head of the breakfast table and the wines that pair with them. Eggs with potatoes and toast. You know, classic eggs, potatoes, and toast. They recommend a pairing of a uh, grillo um, from Sicily, $15.89 points. Uh, white wine from Sicily, Grillo, T-R-I-L-L-O. Never heard of it, but you're just going to have your basic breakfast, and, you know, that's it. Sauvignon Blanc is also another good one if you're looking at just um, your basic breakfast, but Grillo, they highly recommend. Next one, Eggs Benedict. They recommend a 2017 rosé, a French rosé from Provence. Uh, it's uh, not quite as acidic, and it will bounce well with the hollandaise sauce and gives you uh, a good good balance on that. Uh, white burgundy, they also are saying, would be good, which is a Chardonnay. Quiche Lorraine. They recommend a Alsace Riesling, a 2016 Henry Schulheitz Heron Rieben. My gosh, yes, okay. $23, 92 points for your, uh, or actually any Riesling they're saying would go well, but uh, the Alsace is what they're recommending. French toast. A simple meal there, but when you start adding fruit to it, different things, uh, a sweet dish, obviously. Uh, the German Riesling would go well. Moscato d'Osti, a little bit of bubbly there. Chenin Blanc might be a pick, but they recommend going a little bit more bubbly here. Demisec from South Africa, a Vouvray Demisec from South Africa or Chenin Blanc uh, from South Africa. So, a couple of choices. And the classic Denny's, Moons Over Miami. Uh, your sandwich of ham and eggs and scrambled eggs and all that. Good breakfast. Uh, scram- uh, cheese. The uh, uh, Labrusco style wines, uh, drier Labrusco style wines go well with it. They recommend a Labrusco, uh, which is a, a sparkly, a little bubbly wine. And Havas Rancheros. It's a spicy tomato salsa uh, with beans and potatoes and chorizo and sour cream and other ingredients that all are thrown onto the plate as a breakfast, uh, the Valade de Guadalupe is uh, a premier wine region of Mexico, 
and a grenache would go well. A gamay, they're suggesting also. Uh, a lighter Beaujolais. Uh, the one that they do recommend highly is the Duck Pond 2016 Gamay Noir from Willamette Valley. And that's it. Those are the ones that they recommend and some wines to go with different breakfasts. So it, uh, keep in mind, you don't have to don't have to forego wine with breakfast. You there's always ones to go with it. And I've never tried that. <laughs> I haven't either. You know, I've always stayed away from wine with breakfast, but there's no, no I think uh, why not. Next time I go to Denny's for breakfast, I'm gonna bring a bottle of wine and to try it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Say so you don't I, I just don't need charge a, a corkage fee, do you? <laughs> Going, yeah, there you go. I don't think no. they they don't sell alcohol, do they? I don't think they even sell yeah, alcohol. Yeah, they do. Does, I, oh, yeah. They yeah, do, they really? Do. They, they, they sell that. wine, and I think beer, wine and beer, Denny says wow. now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. ask your food server <laughs> if uh, what pairs well with uh, what you're having. With, <laughs> yeah, they... with, you know, I'm having the Grand Slam. Do you yes. recommend a wine? <laughs> Can I talk to the winemaker? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can I talk to the This is Denny's, but you know that. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Or you know you're at Denny's. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah. That's that was good. <laughs> Uh-huh. That's a good one. Yeah. I never thought about so, that. So there you go. Wine, wine, wine and beer. Uh, <laughs> quick little thing here, too. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago about Kansas City being a wine destination. Most people don't think of it. Uh, Missouri has been around for a long time as a wine producer. they got like 120 wineries in Missouri. Uh, Missouri and Kansas together constitute the second largest grape-growing and winemaking region in the U.S. behind California which I thought that was a, a staggering statistic there when I read that. Um, but they're saying, you know, wine bars uh, in Kansas City are very, very popular. Uh, the uh, uh, wine shops, Underdog Wine Company has a phenomenal selection. They also do tastings uh, uh, every week. Cellar Rat Wine Merchants, um, Gomer's Fine Wine and Spirits, local wineries in Kansas City is the Kansas City Wine Works, uh, the Amagoni Urban Winery is located there uh, in Kansas City, just outside of Kansas City. Regional wineries include ones up in western Missouri, just north of it, and uh, there are 40 different uh, heritage grape varieties grown on site in 20 different wineries around Kansas City. So. Kansas City is a, uh, uh, if, if you're looking for a wine destination, you don't have to drive down to Grapevine, Texas. You can go to Kansas City and find some wines and wine offerings there. So, mm. good. I got that out of the way, too. And those are things that I keep wanting to say. I can tell people about that. So, <laughs> so there you go. Very good. I'm done. All right. Um well, that man, that's you covered quite a bit with. Uh, I mean, the show with the uh, 1855 uh, classification talk. That was uh, that's a lot of. Ooh, that's a big story. I thought it was interesting. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. thought that was quite interesting. Like I say, I started to read about that, and I'm going, ooh, 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 this is interesting. And 
you know, there was a lot of stuff I, I didn't click on and cover, but if y'all want to learn more about it, it is, you know, and all the grapes that go into those and, and all that. But what I think what got me more than anything was the fact that money was so involved in the classification. Oh, you know, would you break? That was the cash register. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it really was. It really was. A little, yeah. I didn't realize it sounded like that on here. It sounded pretty good local. But... There you go. There you go. There you go. <laughs> the old okay. style. That's the <laughs> that's the French French cash register. <laughs> the French cash register. Right. Yeah. Anything, anything, to with, anything to do with wine, they're going to try and cash in on it. And they copyright. Will. They oh, yeah. will. You yeah. cannot so, use that anymore. Hmm. Can't use okay. it. But 1855 or anything. But yeah, yeah it, was, it was interesting uh, doing research on that. That was really an interesting topic, I thought. And, mm-hmm. so. mm. Very um, good. Yeah. Um, so we're going to be back uh, next Thursday, which will be the 23rd of August, uh, right here on Blog Talk Radio. And we'll go ahead and. Uh, I think you're not going to be. Probably not, but um, right. I'm I'm still working on it. So um, okay, well, we we will still it. have the show, and you know, I mean, even when I missed, Mike was able to put a show together. Okay, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah I didn't put a not like you do. Yeah, yeah, but still, it was, it was there. I've got I've got 18 pages of of information that I'm going to go through, and it, it's like over in 20 minutes. I'm like, how did he do this? <laughs> You must have sacks and sacks and stuff that you know. <laughs> I tried. I was like, oh, I can do. It. I can easily. I could do like three weeks worth of of in, you know shows with the information that I had, and it turned out to be twenty minutes. I was like, oh no. <laughs> That's the show. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> yeah. It's like we were talking last week. Oh, half time now. Come back in fifteen minutes. <laughs> yeah. 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 We'll be back. <laughs> wow. Not easy. He makes it look. Ron makes it look so easy to do this show every week, and <laughs> until you do it, and you realize, wow, this is not. You know, um, we'll have to talk a little awesome. about you getting a raise. You need a raise and and, uh, I and yeah, yeah, I better benefits. Pa- we'll have to talk to yeah. him. <laughs> vacation. So. Yeah, vacation. More use. <laughs> more use of the company chest. Yeah, that is. Falling down too. I, you know. Yeah. So I got to find where you went to. Um, yeah. we'll, uh, we'll yeah. see you all <laughs> next week uh, right here on Blog Talk Radio, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks for tuning in and have a great week. And uh, Thank you for tuning in. Drink wine, be safe. Yes. Thank you. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine on Blog Talk Radio with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archive shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine.